we put people into these boxes and if they don't fit to some small like view of even what ADHD is or what autism is, then all of a sudden we're questioning a lot of the diagnosis. And my whole thing is treat the patient, like treat the patient first. If that is helping them, if she is getting, having success in that, why, I I don't know, like when you just rip that away from somebody or try to then decide that you're going to steer treatment then in another way, even though you know it was working, it blows my mind. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 177 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyotsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one not one, that wasn't truly brilliant at something. So for all of these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to Kaylin Johnson. Kaylin Johnson is known as the neurodivergent pharmacist. She's an American healthcare provider, mental health advocate, and entrepreneur. Kaylin shows high-achieving neurodivergent individuals how to unmask their health and feel their best through concierge whole-person care. As a licensed clinical pharmacist, functional medicine specialist, healthcare advocate, and neurodivergent mentor, she bridges the gap between mental health and physical health through her professional and personal experience. Kaylin brings a unique and enthusiastic perspective to her private practice, a perspective gained from living life as a queer person and late-diagnosed ADHD and autistic individual. She cares, coaches, and mentors with passion and an insatiable appetite to help other neurodivergent individuals navigate a world that wasn't built with them in mind. When not one-on-one coaching or speaking, Kaylin can be found at home in Nebraska with her personal trainer wife and rambunctious puppy having 
dance parties, couch snuggles, and finding new ways to add glitter to her everyday professional wear. Kaylin, you are my kind of person. Did I get all of that right? (laughs) You got all of it. That is me in a bright, sparkly unicorn nutshell. (laughs) Wonderful. We love bright, sparkly unicorns. So (laughs) I am really interested to speak with you because there definitely is a gap. Like everyone knows their one little area, not much else. So to have someone here who can help us build some bridges, I'm thrilled. But can we talk about your ADHD diagnoses first? Heck yes, let's do it. Yeah. So what were the circumstances around your diagnoses? All right, Tracy. Woof. I mean, that is the first word that comes to mind (laughs) every time I think about this experience. Woof. Like, oh my gosh. So my journey with my ADHD diagnosis really started, I would say, I mean, at the start of the pandemic. That was really the time I'm one of those pandemic diagnosed uh, neurodivergent souls. So I was having a lot of stress in my job, in my personal life, although I looked like I had this successful career in academia and in clinical pharmacy, Um, healthy and athletic. I had just won uh, a half marathon in my division down in Walt Disney World, like doing all the things. But inside, I felt like, yeah, I was like falling apart. Like I was having fatigue, dizziness, brain fog, GI issues, muscle spasms, tremors, all the things. And around the time of the pandemic, I was like really hitting a wall. And so I reached out finally (laughs) for help. As we know, a lot of us high achievers uh, really struggle to do. And that started down then what would be the hardest year of my life. And it took about a year then of being misdiagnosed with other mental health related issues before I finally found and landed with my current therapist. Within about three months, she was like, I think you have ADHD. And I was shocked. She still says she remembers my face that my jaw hit the floor. floor. And and this is insane. And I want everybody to hear this. You are a pharmacist, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) This is what you studied. And still the information's been hidden from you too. Exactly. Exactly. And like Tracy, that is why like I knew I had to do this work because the entire time I kept thinking, I do this. I navigate this world. Like that is my job. And like, if you are somebody who doesn't advocate or do interprofessional communication or navigate medications as your career, how could anybody succeed in getting the help and diagnosis they need? At this point for a while, I was like, gosh, it must just be luck because like, like I would tell my therapist that, that I was like, sometimes I would question and be like, I don't know how I'm here. Like, I don't know how I finally got to this like point where I finally got the correct diagnosis where I can actually you know, relook at my entire internal experience to cultivate a better exterior experience for my life. And uh, it's, it's mind blowing, really. So can I ask you, Kaylin, what mm-hmm. were you initially diagnosed with? Yeah. So initially I was diagnosed just with depression. That was first. And that was kind of, even when I reached out for help, I was like, I don't really know what this is. Um, Honestly, looking back, I think a lot of it was burnout, um, mostly related to a lot of my neurodivergent coping skills. Um, I was the one that a lot of people thought I was a perfectionist. I didn't see myself that way, but I had created 
really, really intense systems Mm -hmm. to deal with my ADHD. Those were my workarounds, but I didn't have, I wouldn't really let them budge. So I was full force all the time. And I was validated a lot for that. I was a student athlete in college, um, division one rower. Um, I was, you know, always like top 10% of my class, like just go, 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 because I didn't, I didn't know any other way. So a lot of my uh, then kind of overworking, I think, led to a lot of those kind of burnout symptoms. So first it was depression. And then I was diagnosed. Well, I was being evaluated for a possible diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Yeah. (laughs) It's always women, isn't it? I always, always. And I was so emotional and frustrated. Can Um, I ask you though, so when you were diagnosed with depression, did they put you on Mm -hmm. an SSRI? Yes, they did. And did your symptoms get worse? Yes, they did. (laughs) Ah, Okay. So then all of a sudden, no, now it's borderline. Exactly. That was exactly what happened. And Mm -hmm. I started having actually um, seizure-like activity. Um, So I ended up being diagnosed then with um, uh, PNES um, or psychological neuroleptic seizures. What is that? So that is uh, basically a disorder where you end up having so much stress and overwhelmed. uh, Your internal experience has been so overwhelmed that your body starts physically reacting in ways that are similar to seizure-like activity. Wow. People can lose complete feeling in like their legs, um, the lucid ability to walk. Then I would be woken up, um, in the middle of the night by like my head twitching and like jerking to the side. I couldn't control, uh, function in my hands. Um, I was having sometimes vision loss, oh my like gosh. total vision loss. Yeah. It was, it was awful. And so when Kaylin, I was, a, yeah. do you think it's the medication that was causing this medication you shouldn't have been on? So I do think that was contributing to it. I think mm-hmm. that was a big part of it. And then I do think, so during that time, I was trying to get accommodations at work. Um, and I ended up being um, uh, very misunderstood in seeking out accommodations there as well, as there was a lot of kind of, I think, a belief of, well, you got through this before, fine. So why would you need accommodations now? Why would you need So it was a toxic now? work environment. Yes, exactly. Which yes. I think is worse than everything, right? <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was really, really, really hard. Um, and another aspect of, again, I think where, again, so much of my focus of what I want to do and like helping people is that you know, this touches everything. It touches ev- your neurodivergency then. It, it impacts every part of your life, not just your health, but um, the way that it is handled at your workplace, at your home, then impacts that it then impacts your health in the end too. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So then what happened? Yeah. So like I said, I was able to then connect with my current therapist and within like three months, she identified the ADHD. And again, my jaw hit the floor and she said, go look up symptoms of ADHD and high achieving women. So I went home and I did that and immediately was like, oh my God, that's me. Like, (laughs) I'm not unique, like (laughs) in the Mm -hmm. best way. I was like, this is it. This is who I am. This answers 
almost everything for me. Um, and pretty quickly then I was able to get in with uh, a psychiatrist and be evaluated and then um, started treatment. Um, and I take Vyvanse and have been on uh, just, we've kind of messed with the dose a little bit here and there, uh, especially after I was coming off of um, meds, because with the BPD, I was also put on a whole lot of sedatives. Um, yeah, so I had to then come off. I was I had benzodiazepines that I was taking, whole bunch of sleep meds. So I was like zonked like all the time. So that kind of we've had to play then with the Vyvanse dose a little bit. But but yeah, that now I'm just it's been just readjusting everything with this new knowledge, which has been incredible. Like I I said the other day to my wife that I was like, I feel like a seasoned, wise, old woman with this experience that I've had now. But then I also feel like a complete infant, like completely relearning how to, uh, you know, approach everything in a healthy, balanced way. And it's terrifying, overwhelming. And yet I am more at peace in my life than I have ever been. And that's, I mean, that's all we all want, right? You know, it's interesting, Kaylin, I always say the best purposes give meaning to our past. And clearly, yes. you having gone through this as horrible as it was, mm -hmm. you come out the other end and it's just, oh my gosh, I've got to help other people because there's yes. so many other women like me that are in the same situation. And I cannot even imagine. Um, so I went hyper. They put me on Cytomel because mm -hmm. they said, well, they... I was told I have a thyroid problem. I never had a thyroid problem. Nope. <laughs> and I remember how I felt on that medication. And then shortly thereafter, you know, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And then we tried some um, stimulant medications and they made me feel similar. And so I can't even imagine that was one medication at a time. I can't yeah. imagine. And I was so not myself. I mean, I'm the one who causes anxiety. I don't have yeah. anxiety, you know? Yeah, yes. But it well, just created all these issues. So many. And that was so hard for me, especially with the amount of sedatives I was on then. And that, being a pharmacist. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Seriously. Well, there were times that I went to my psychiatrist then at the time that I was working with and was like, uh, this isn't like overly safe. Like uh, this is <laughs> like, so when you combine Mm -hmm. And I, or any sort of depressant. So they all affect your central nervous system. Yep. And they basically can start shutting that down, which can shut down your ability to breathe. <laughs> it can shut uh -huh. down. Like I know my wife talked about that she had fears that I wasn't going to wake up in the morning um, because of how many sedatives uh, they had put me on at that point. Because I had talked to her about that, that I was like, this is, this is a lot. And I don't, like, I was so overwhelmed that, and I felt like everybody was kind of treating me like I didn't know myself, like mm -hmm. this was what was good for me. And I was so beat down that I could only advocate for myself for so long before I just wanted to give up. And I oh. definitely had reached a point that was where I was hanging on by a nail to like keep finding somebody who would listen. Because again, these were my colleagues. These were my peers, uh, my other healthcare providers. And I, you know, like I wanted to put my trust in them because I mean, that's where I thought I was going to be understood when I went for help and, you know, found the 
first and second therapist I was working with and the psychiatrist, I thought, great, I'm going to be understood here. They're going to get it. And mm. it was the exact, <laughs> the exact opposite until I found the care team that I have now, which they are fabulous. So shout out to my, <laughs> my therapist and my psychiatrist, if you're listening. Um, so, <laughs> so explain something to me. So the whole mm-hmm. goal is that what we're trying to do is calm our nervous system down right? But you're saying the medications that you were put on instead literally shut your nervous system down. So it did the opposite. Is that what you're saying? So really, when you think about somebody who has ADHD and like what we're trying to do, like you said, we want to calm the nervous system, but it's really through kind of what you really have to look at is what is the motivator? What is the cause? Why is your nervous system activated? Um, And when you're looking at somebody with ADHD, a lot of times we are in an activated state Mm -hmm. because we lack the dopamine. Our brains Mm -hmm. are searching for that. Shutting down our central nervous system to just like make us sleepier, to make us like to lower our heart rate, lower our blood pressure, that doesn't answer the search for dopamine for the brain. So it's still going to be activated. Like, no, 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 no. Like I need, I need this. I need this. So now I'm anxious because I don't have the dopamine, but I'm falling asleep because now my heart rate's so low. My blood pressure is so low. My breathing slowed. So like now I'm just like sleepy and anxious, <laughs> which is not helpful. So somebody who doesn't have ADHD and they have you know, the appropriate amount of dopamine and their receptors are working um, well, they then, if they're in that, you know, kind of dysregulated state, the depressants can possibly be helpful. Um, But for us, it's just not what we need. So are you saying then when we get anxious, um, what's happening is our nervous system is shutting down? So when we get anxious, uh, the nervous system is activated. So the nervous system is going more always with us, right? Yes, exactly. Like we're in that like heightened state, like often, like more so. And honestly, Mm -hmm. as a country, like (laughs) everybody kind of is like, that's a huge now. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and I'm of kind of the thought where I think that a lot of our chronic diseases and a lot of our mental health issues, period, are driven by dysregulated nervous systems Yeah, that we yep. don't know how to calm our nervous systems. And when you're constantly in that state, yeah, you're going to have a really, really hard time functioning well in your life, let alone having chronic inflammation, which is basically the driver of the, um, you know, so much chronic disease, um, autoimmune conditions. Totally. Um, yeah. Mind so. body. Yep. That's it. Mind body, <laughs> baby. That's okay, right. So let's go back to your diagnoses because we've yes. digressed just a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> once you knew it was ADHD, so you got diagnosed yes. and you had the benefit of hindsight, What are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about? But now you're like, duh, ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. There have been a lot of those. Like, oh, my gosh. So I'm definitely still exploring that, especially looking back, you know, at my like childhood, teen, kind of young adult years, really like trying to break that down. Because especially because I had developed so many of those coping mechanisms really, really young. And so it was, you know, hard for me to find that root motivator again. So I definitely was one who had figured out that I needed to keep the momentum to get anything done. 
So very young, like second, third grade, I would come home from school and didn't want to talk to anybody, didn't want to do anything, didn't want to risk being distracted by anything, wouldn't even like go to the bathroom so that I could sit down and do my homework because Mm -hmm. I knew if I didn't do it right away, it would be a huge emotional and journey to get myself to Mm -hmm. sit down and be able to do it again. Um, So I had a lot of things like that. I was very overregulated and it was really, really a challenge for me then to kind of break out what was, you know, what was ADHD and then what was me just trying to control that. So really setting really firm deadlines for myself. Um, I would do that and wouldn't let myself break them. Um, (laughs) You can't tell, um, hyperverbal. But in a good way. Yeah. (laughs) I can talk about anything for forever, like, which was one of those things that like, I didn't struggle socially because of that. I could talk to anyone about anything. And that was something, again, I was like really validated for, um, but didn't really know that that was (laughs) kind of an oddity, I guess. So can Um, I ask you? It sounds like you did not struggle in school at all. In fact, you were the mm-hmm. opposite. You were the under, I mean, overachiever. But did you get comments from teachers like she chats too much? <laughs> <laughs> no. So again, overregulated. I mm. got comments that, so I didn't talk. I would very rarely, or if I I did, I would a lot of times say things, um, this is where the autism comes in too, very bluntly. Mm. Um, So I was known as a smart ass my whole life. (laughs) I am definitely was a smart ass woman, Um, which I though, being with where the autism comes into play, didn't really understand that. I was like, well, I'm just saying, you know, what I see. Like, I don't, you know, that, that was really, really hard for me. So I was pretty much... It was very, very quiet. Teachers loved having me because I pretty much didn't talk, wasn't a problem, did everything as I was supposed to. Um, But I think the hardest thing where I did struggle in school was really similar into how I was, you know, the struggles I had in reaching out for help is that I really wasn't believed how much I was struggling. I would go to teachers in... I remember specifically in like sixth grade and one time my sophomore year of high school in my English class that they didn't believe if I would come to them and say, hey, I don't really understand what I'm doing in maybe writing this paper or solving this math problem. But what I did understand was the pattern. So I could repeat, I could pair it and I could follow a pattern, but I didn't know why. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I knew I was going to mess it up then again in the future, because I didn't understand the concept enough. Like, but they're like, no, 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 but you got like a hundred percent on the test. Like, I I know, but I don't know why. (laughs) Like, I just thought I was like some weird, like, I don't know, had some Like you didn't even know where the answers came from, but somehow you were, yeah. Yeah. I had a calculus test one time that I went into and was like, this was in college. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to fail this. Like, I have no clue what I'm doing. Came out of it. I got an 85% on the test. And I was like, what is my brain? (laughs) Well, and that's why then we start getting this imposter complex stuff going on, right? Because we know we're smart, but if we were really smart, we'd know why we got that 85 (laughs) that we thought we were going to flunk, right? 
Exactly. Exactly. So then when everybody would tell me like, you're smart or you're badass or you're whatever inside, I, I didn't like it because I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't know it's what I'm doing. Act. It's fake. <laughs> it's not real. Or not like, not like you think it is. Like mm-hmm. that was the thing too. Like I kind of recognized where my genius, I guess, was, which was in like pattern recognizing. Like I mm-hmm. was really good at that, which again, when I kind of made this business. And even when I found myself in my academic career prior to this, like I was like, no, that's where I'm smart. So like, I want to be, I want my pharmacy career to really allow me to lean in to that side versus again, the way that everyone else like really kind of arrives at their intelligence. Mine is very different. So I knew I needed to, I knew young, I needed to figure out a way to make that work for me because people, you know, neurotypicals weren't going to believe me when I said, no, guys, I don't get it. (laughs) And I bet you it's because verbally you -hmm. just come across as so intelligent, right? So there's that too, that just messes with us. So I'm curious, were you diagnosed combined type or inattentive? So I was diagnosed inattentive. Okay. Yeah. Yet we, we can hear, like I always wonder, <laughs> what, what is inattentive versus combined type anyway? Because I, I see the hyperactivity. I can hear it, right? And, I can, and I, can also, I can also see it, everything that you've done and how you've come to what you do. And so yeah. there's definitely a hyperactivity, whether it is physically, although you seem yeah. like you'd be physically hyperactive too, like you'd be bopping around all over the place. Not true? No. So I think I'm... <laughs> I think maybe I'm leaning into that more now a little Mm. bit, but it was so, so I'm the oldest of three girls Mm -hmm. and my middle sister is three years younger than me. She was the one who could not sit still. She was out of her chair. Mm -hmm. She was like always messing with stuff. She was the one who got in trouble for talking. So I think in perspective, like I was like, no, like that's not me. And like, I will say I've probably changed positions in my chair like eight times, like in the last like five minutes. Mm-hmm. But like for the most part, yeah, I mean, that was really what was it when I learned that like, okay, this is me. It was like, it doesn't have to just be physical that, that, you mm-hmm. know, hyperactivity mm-hmm. could be mental. And I was like, oh shoot. Yeah. This brain's going a thousand miles a minute It is a Ferrari. And yeah. I'm just like hanging on You're for the ride. <laughs> for the ride. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I love it. Like I am, I say that all the time that like, you know, the ADHD and the autism diagnosis just put a name to what and who I already was and was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And those pieces, those are my favorite things about myself. I love my brain so much. Now, getting the rest of the world to love it and understand it is where the challenge has been um, and navigating that and kind of accepting that Screw that them. be easy. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the kind of, yeah. F off like that has been like, and you know, that's still part of the journey that I'm, I'm going down and working on even, you know, that kind of people pleaser fawn response mm-hmm. that I had definitely developed, especially when it came to me really speaking to my needs or, um, accommodations or how just, again, that I, I think differently than you do and that that's okay. So I'm curious. So you're also a professor, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, are you noticing ADHD in your students? Whereas before, you know, you wouldn't have had a clue. 
oh my gosh, girl, <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> like so, so much, but it has been so valuable for me as a professor, as a mentor, as an advisor. Um, I actually have a lot of students um, as patients now too in my private practice. Mm. Um, I am so enthused as well by the students. Um, You know, I work mostly with um, then students in healthcare graduate level programs. Um, So they're probably in their, you know, what, 22 to like 26 years old. How excited they are to work with me and to start consciously creating an environment where they, quote, fit out (laughs) rather than fit in. Yeah. Now. Yeah. They want to do it now. And I, I am like, Oh, like it almost like brings tears to my eyes that like that I get to be a part of their journey of wellness and of a life that we get to cultivate this right now, right here, rather than, you know, my experience and other patients I have who might be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, where it's like, okay, we're going to kind of have to (laughs) rip your life apart to a degree. But like these students, they want it. They they know that they're different and they know that it doesn't have to necessarily be this way. And yeah, it's so thrilling to be a part of that. Well, you're changing lives and it's so <laughs> cool when you see that you can change a life when, it, you know, the student's still really young versus yeah. like you said, when they're 50, 60 or even 70. And then, yep. you know, there's so much, um, what's the word, you know, that they just feel so bad about I guess, shame about what's happened before. Yeah. Shame or just, exactly. Or it's just difficult. Like I Mm -hmm. have a lot of patients who are healthcare providers. Um, I would say I was kind of shocked by that, that actually Mm -hmm. most of my patients are healthcare providers. Um, And I've got some, yeah, I've got some (laughs) thoughts on to why I think that is Um, a big one being that I think a lot of healthcare jobs are so um, ill-equipped to uh, really be somewhere that a neurodivergent person, someone with ADHD can thrive in a Which lot of ways. Which is just insane. I know. I know. A lot of ways they don't really have great mechanisms for caring for your like basic biological needs. Like I think of a patient I have who is a CRNA and like we were talking What's a CRNA? About, yeah. So she's a nurse anesthetist. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So she um, was really struggling, even just like being able to care for herself basic ways. So, like sleep, stress, um, nutrition, functional movement. Those are like the core principles of functional medicine um, and working on uh, lowering inflammation in the body. So, we were working on that. And I was just talking about making sure she was well hydrated, um, basic things like this. And she was like, Well, that's really difficult. Like, we can't bring water into the OR. And then I also can't leave the patient, you know, because I am there under anesthesia to go to the bathroom. So I won't drink. So I don't have to go to the bathroom for however many hours. <laughs> and so that way she can do her job. And I'm like, I mean, like, I, I, I get this. I understand it. But also, how are we why are we asking people to be inhuman to care for other humans? Like, 
it blows my mind. So a big part of like what I'm doing then with people like that is like, okay, you went down this path, you have this career. How can we make your job more accommodating to not only your neurodivergent needs, your ADHD needs, but to your basic human needs? So whether that's advocating in the workplace for (laughs) being able to drink water when you want, (laughs) you know? Um, And so like with that, like I'm talking about going in and kind of doing presentations to um, a lot of her uh, bosses and some of the uh, other providers who are there. Um, Other ones, it is helping other healthcare providers do something similar to like what I did. My answer was I, you know, was went ahead and decided to go ahead and leave my career in academia. And I had interviewed at a number of other schools. And during that process, I had asked them, you know, can you introduce me to somebody else, um, maybe who is neurodivergent or somebody who is queer? And what is it like for them working at your institution? Are they supported? Are they um, cared for? Are they do they feel welcomed? And um, kind of what that process would look like. And most of the institutions I interviewed at did not really have good answers and couldn't really provide me that. And I was like, okay, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna create this. So I'm working with a lot of people then now too, other pharmacists also and other healthcare providers, helping them figure out, okay, maybe how can you, you know, find entrepreneurship in your healthcare career? fields and career, which is hard for us. Um, But it's definitely doable. If you've got a brain that's open to thinking a little outside the box like mine, then, you know, we can we can make this work. No, environment is so important. And if you're in a toxic work environment, that right there, it's killing your health. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like that. That is it to a T. And it will I mean, it will it will take everything from you. Like, honestly, it's like, it is clearly we are seeing that in this country right now too, with kind of the great resignation that people recognize that they're, this is not sustainable for their health, for their well-being, mental and physical health. And I'm seeing it on my side, then impacting both again, the mind body connection. Like it is clear that a lot of these physical ailments are originating from the stress and the mental toll that the workplace environments are taking on people. And I think that's true, especially for those of us with ADHD, because identity is so important to us. It's kind of, you know, at the crux, like if we can't be who we are, it's just not, like you said, going to be sustainable long-term. Exactly. And I think that was I mean, that's what I didn't realize. I had entered into that workspace and academia, you know, there's so many wonderful things about it, um, but there is a lot of, I want to say, just kind of cultural norms that yeah. you're kind of expected to abide to. Mm-hmm. And that was hard for me. I mean, you can't see me <laughs> right now, but like I have my septum pierced. I wear a lot of glittery makeup. I like bright colors. Um, I have a lot of sensory issues with clothing for sure. I used to have like legit like panic attacks prior to going into the clinic because we had such such strict rules about um, clothing and having to um, cover our body because there would be possible body fluids um, 
around. So we had to have skin covered and then having to put my hot, long white coat on top of it. Oh my God, I would just panic. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> like, so even at the most basic level of being who I was, like just being able to wear what I want to wear, like how much that affects my mental health on the daily is huge, absolutely massive, cannot be, you know, ignored. Yeah. Well, that internal rudder, you know, our body and emotion, Mm -hmm. that's telling Mm -hmm. you what you need to do and what you don't need to do. (laughs) So the question that I think I get asked the most is, how do I put together a team of medical and mental health professionals that actually understands ADHD? Like where and how do I go about finding these kinds of people? Yes. And I know that's what you do, right? You work with your (laughs) Do you call them patients or clients? So I kind of go back and forth. I use both terms depending on what each one of them kind of wants. And it honestly kind of depends on what they're, um, when I'm working with somebody more in this healthcare kind of focus, I tend to think of them more as my patients. And when we're working on more of kind of some of that life focus, I think of them as clients. So Uh they're both in my mind. And that's kind of where, again, like where I feel like my kind of niche is, is I'm like this, I think of myself as this filler gap, you know, like we can't really silo your healthcare from your life. So I will take then, okay, we've got all the kind of treatment plans from your primary care provider, from your therapist, from your psychiatrist. Maybe you have a physical therapist because maybe you've got some hypermobility issues. So maybe you've got, um, you know, the ortho and then we've got maybe a life coach or an ADHD coach, but then like, how do we actually like put all of this together into one healthy person? And like, that's kind of what I feel like I can do. Like I can understand all of these puzzle pieces and plug them in. So they're my patients and they're my clients and they're my little baby neurodivergent, neurospicy chicken nuggets. So that's what I always call them. I don't know why. (laughs) So not everyone's in Nebraska. No. How can you work? Like, how do you do this as far as putting this team together? Because also you can't possibly know everyone around the country, right? That offers these kinds of services. So, so how does that work? Yeah. So few different parts kind of to this answer. So first of all, as far as the clinical pharmacy piece, so that uh, because I'm licensed here in Nebraska, when I am providing any sort of medication therapy management services, um, that more has to fall with my Nebraska patients. But really, I would say like that piece of what I do is small, the way that that is defined within that scope of practice. A lot of what I do really falls more under the banner of health coach. Um, Mm -hmm. That then I can do, you know, across the country via telehealth, um, which is how I meet with my patients. So what I will do with a lot of them when I'm helping them curate these care teams is I will help them kind of look through and identify people online. So let's say maybe it's like a therapist or a psychiatrist that we're looking for, which is often then I get a lot of people who they may be because of like TikTok or the internet or people around them think, hey, I think I maybe have ADHD or I'm neurodivergent. Like, what do I do? Um, I get a lot of people right at that stage and I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. So I will help them go and find these type of providers who look at them, you know, on the internet, what are their credentials? Um, how do they approach therapy? Do they have experience working with neurodivergent people? 
and kind of really help them, you know, start that process. The other thing I do then is help them kind of come up with questions then to ask of these providers to know that if they really have, you know, neurodivergent supportive care, if they have a provider who is going to be willing, who either already understands their brains because maybe they're neurodivergent themselves, or somebody who is open to really listening and adjusting based off of, um, you know, their unique needs. And uh, that we can at least find more often um, than maybe people who really have a lot of experience purely with um, ADHD, especially in women. So I would think too, having someone like you on their team is especially helpful when you have to actually go in and train these professionals because they don't even know what ADHD looks like. Exactly. And that was shocking to me too, that like with my diagnosis, I have had providers then say to me, um, you know, physicians say, oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Or um, you don't look like you would have yeah. <laughs> ADHD or autism. Or I had a healthcare provider um, when I was at the eye doctor say, oh, ADHD and autism, and you got through pharmacy school. <laughs> I was like, uh, it was deer in the headlights. I didn't, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, um, yep, I did. I, I definitely did. So yeah, there's a lot of self-advocacy that has to be done. And really, again, with me being on that team, my hope is to help take some of that weight off or at least even just be there to validate that like it is worth you know, taking the time to mm-hmm. find providers who will, who you feel comfortable with, who understand you, where like, you know, you don't have to spend all of your time, energy, and money just translating your soul or your internal experience. Like that is so frustrating to like come out of an appointment and to feel like I just spent my whole time trying to convince this physician that what I was experiencing was what I was experiencing. And it shouldn't be that way. So will you um, actually talk to physicians on their behalf and like send them, you know, studies? Yes, I will go and talk to the physician so I can get the patients to go ahead and sign off and to give me the okay to communicate with them. Um, So just some examples, I have worked with I'm working with the patients right now, working with their therapist, psychiatrist, their cardiologist, and their electrophysiologist. Because interesting case with that one, they um, have Ehlers-Danlos. So hypermobility disorders mm-hmm. and Ehlers-Danlos are closely connected with yep. um, neurodivergency. So, um, and they just got diagnosed with ADHD. So now we've got concerns of putting them on a stimulant because it's going to increase their heart rate, increase their blood pressure. So I'm working closely to kind of be that... Um, I always kind of, the way I imagine it in my head, like ringleader. I'm like the ringleader of the healthcare circus. So <laughs> like, like, I got my whip and I'm like, okay, you, here's what, yeah, here's what we need to know. Got it. Yep, exactly. So yeah, so I will communicate with all of them, make sure we're actually all on the same page, make sure we understand like what the patient wants, what their values are, um, and that we really understand how the neurodivergency um, affects not only their physical health, but the mental and how we should actually approach, you know, kind of how to work all of this into their 
daily life and their care. So, yeah. So, and I, that is, that's my favorite part is to, and in that process, I'm getting to educate those providers to hopefully then have a little more of that awareness the next time they are going to interact or coming to contact with, you know, ADHD patient. You're basically educating them. How do they respond? Most of the time, honestly, with this, I've been kind of shocked really, really well. I think that they truly do want to know how to help um, patients and people um, better. And there's just such a lack of understanding Mm -hmm. of what that means for somebody with ADHD. And I think when they respond poorly a lot of times before, it is that it's that shame response. It is that response of like, I'm supposed to know how to help you and how to help you reach these goals and outcomes. And I don't, and I'm failing and I don't know why. So I'm just going to be like, oh, it's probably, it's probably on you. It's probably a you problem. Mm -hmm. Instead of, you know, looking back at like, hey, maybe I should take time to kind of learn more about this patient, to research more about this and to believe them, to believe their, you know, internal experience. Like I know, you know, Brene Brown talks about that, that there's really two pieces to true empathy and that's listening. And the second half is believing, believing that somebody can have a different internal experience than you. And that's such a huge part of healthcare, especially when it comes to mental health and when it comes to things like pain also um, and symptoms, like you have to be open to believing a patient's internal experience. I was just going to say something and then it just totally went (laughs) away. I would think, but I just came back. I would think that this is a win-win either way because Mm -hmm. if you're dealing with a um, professional, you know, healthcare professional who is, you know, one of those, oh, there's no such thing as ADHD or this is not ADHD, Mm -hmm. well, then your client patient understands or sees this is not the person for me. And Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that that person in their little shame spiral once you leave, is going to go back and do more research on their own. Exactly. Yep. (laughs) That's my hope too. Or like, so a big part of actually what I'm doing as well is I started to put together basically a list of neurodivergent affirming providers. Like I want to create basically this master list. I have one that I use for my patients, but my goal eventually is to be able to make that a part of my website where providers can basically go to like, you know, sign up and be like, hey, like I know how to care for you and your neurodivergency, as well as being your maybe your PT or your um, uh, occupational therapist or whatever. It doesn't even have to be like, let's say, therapy or psychiatry or it could be primary care pr- providers. Like I have a wonderful primary care provider who was honestly, she was the anchor throughout that entire experience for me. Yeah. She, if I didn't have her, I would have been so just lost. And that's, you know, what I try to be for my patients. But like, I think that, yeah, that is my hope in the future is to have kind of this master list then where patients can go and be like, okay, I'm in this state. Like, what are the different providers who are like, you know, have neurodivergent affirming care and like, how can I, you know, find them? That's, that's the goal. So we have a wonderful, she's actually one of our AOK students, um, and she's a wonderful member in our Facebook group. Her name is, I hope I'm not massacring her name, Rachel Germeroth. Mm-hmm. 
I think she's an mm-hmm. ADHD coach now too. And she created a list using our group and some other groups. It's at the top of our announcements and it's in there yeah. and people can add if they worked with someone that was really great and really understood ADHD, yeah. they can add, you know, that provider's name on that list. So I completely agree with you. It is so great. it's needed because why wouldn't we want to support those providers who actually know about ADHD, right? They know what exactly. they're doing. Exactly. That, I mean, that that is it to a T. And like, I cannot talk more importantly about how important it is to curate a care team that will get you on this level. If you don't, the amount of time, energy, money, everything that you will waste with not you know, really trying to, again, like translate who you are, your soul to be understood and to feel like you're trying to convince people like that will just tear you down. Like that is just, it is so important. It is so needed. And if you don't have that as a neurodivergent individual, I really will question at some point that it will not weigh actually on your mental or physical health. So to support those providers and to very much support the patients who, who need, and especially don't have that kind of care. I think, too, from what I've heard of certainly my women, you know, the women that I interact with, whether it's through the Facebook group, the podcast, you know, my my programs, so many of them tell me, first of all, they're so fearful to go in and talk to anyone about the diagnosis because their gut, like they've done a bunch of the research and their gut is telling them, this is me, I know it's ADHD. And then to walk in and right away have the whole thing just be discounted um, is so stressful. There was one woman who was saying that she had actually been diagnosed by a psychologist and then a psychiatrist who was medicating her, you know, giving her medication. Mm -hmm. And then she went to, I think her, it was her therapist who had worked with her for many months. She was Mm -hmm. feeling really good. And then one day they gave her, I can't remember what the, oh, the QB check. And she went in, took this computerized test. And I guess it came back that, no, it's not ADHD. And all of a sudden, this therapist was like, nope, it's not ADHD. Sorry, my bad. I mean, can you imagine? Yet (sighs) everything that they had been doing to work on the ADHD had absolutely been making a huge difference. And she said she was just sitting there in tears going like, well, what do I do now? And the therapist said, well, there's mindfulness. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It makes me so, so sad. And I have told my therapist so many times that I am so grateful for her approach because, again, I felt like unique when I was asking this of my providers. So basically what you're describing is a process of invalidation through pathologizing. And that upsets me so much. Like, We try to, again, within that, even put people into these boxes. And if they don't fit to whatever, some small like view of even what ADHD is or what autism is, uh, what neurodivergency is, then all of a sudden we're questioning a lot of the diagnosis. And my whole thing is treat the patient, like treat the patient first. And like, if that is helping them if, if she is getting, having success in that, like why, I, I don't know, like when you just rip that away from somebody or try to then decide that you're going to like steer treatment then in another way, even though you know it was working, like that just, yeah it blows my mind. And, well, and a lot of that, I say it's just driven by even um, 
health insurance. So they require a diagnosis from the psychiatrist after you see them a lot of times, I mean, something within like the first visit. So they are pushed then to pathologize. They are pushed to give you a diagnosis, even without a whole lot of information right away. I mean, that was me and like, even like depression and then borderline. Like I felt like they were like, even though I was telling them again, what my internal experience was, they we're just kind of throwing that out the window to try and label it as something. And fit it into their little box yes. that where they yes. wanted it to be. Exactly. Yeah. And we're I mean, all a unique amalgamation. Like I am of my ADHD, my autism. I also have mm-hmm. PTSD and complex PTSD, my life experiences, my education. So yeah, I don't fit every ADHD, you know, symptom perfectly. Um, and like, I mean, why would I, why would, you know, like, why would, you know, anyone, you have to, you have to look at the patient in front of you and like, yes, we need to sometimes, you know, we need to diagnose, we need to pathologize to a degree to help us guide. But then there's a point where you need to set that aside and sorry, shout out to my healthcare providers, but like, you got to do the work that you were like, actually like came here to do, which is to apply the information, take the guidelines, but then apply the information to the patient and help them. Like if what you're doing isn't helping, reevaluate, like reevaluate what you're doing. Like we are there to help and to care for the patients. That was the oath that we took um, upon graduating from our programs. And that is what I always, always think of every time I step into an appointment with a patient is like, I am there. How can I help you? What can I do to help you? Um, And I think sometimes you know, providers can get so stuck in like, no, this is what we do. This is what we do. I have to diagnose you and I have to like, nope, you don't fit. So (laughs) we're changing it. Like, doesn't matter who you are, what you've experienced. Um, That's just what we're doing. So it's just like. Well, and clearly that online computer test was something new that they had brought into their practice. And they didn't even understand that that's not the be all and end all. It's literally supposed to be taken in concert with other testing and other information that they have about the patient. So it made no sense or client. No, no. Okay. So I want to ask you, how do you know? Well, first of all, let me back up and ask, do you also advise your patients and clients on medication? So what I can do, again, this is kind of where things can get complicated with the clinical pharmacy as far as the medication therapy management pieces that I can do as far as my license goes. So what I'm able to do with those who are outside of Nebraska, we can just, I can help them understand their treatment Mm. plans from their physicians um, better. And I'm always happy to be a thought partner in just kind of talking through different medications, how they work. I can't always do it as like specifically to their individual treatment, but I can talk about it broadly and like refer them to sources. And that's even been a huge piece that's been really great for me, even with TikTok is to put a lot of education out there, but then I can also utilize it um, even with my own patients, as far as talking about, um, you know, drug interactions with um, their medications, things to worry about with that, what medications might be best options or help them kind of refer then to providers who would be able to, you know, then have those discussions further with them as well. So I have a question for you. It seems like everybody (laughs) I interview, 
they all seem, when I ask, okay, well, what medication are you on? It always seems mm-hmm. to be Vyvanse. Is mm-hmm. Vyvanse particularly good for women? I mean, you know, and I've had, um, you know, medical doctors who specialize in medication. I've had them talking about how Vyvanse can be a pretty, uh, I'm trying to remember what the word is, but a real serious, it can be kind of a rough medication for some. For example, if you have, you know, heart issues. What is it about Vyvanse in women? It just seems to be the medication <laughs> that constantly comes up when I yeah. ask. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple different kind of thoughts on why that might be. And also, I'll say for myself, I think it's it's one of my favorites for ADHD. And I think the reason that I, a lot of people really like it and why I do is because of its extended release mechanism. So we have other you know, medication options that are also um, extended release and prolonged, like we've got, you know, immediate release Adderall, and we've got extended release Adderall. But extended release Adderall probably only lasts, I mean, it's going to peak after about probably about three or four hours. And you're only going to see it work for maybe about six, seven hours. So you're going to have some time frame where you're going to you know, not really feel its effects. It's still going to have a little bit more of this kind of hard hitting um, effect that you're going to feel like you can with the immediately release Adderall. The great thing about Vyvanse is that you only have to, you take it once, you take it in the morning and its effects can last about like 14 hours. Um, It's going to peak probably around like the six, seven, maybe eight hours, but you're going to have less of a peak. It just stays in a steady state releasing in your system probably the best and the most balanced out of really any of the ADHD medications, which, as you know, I would say most of us who are ADHD, balance is not something that we naturally come by. So if we can have this kind of more balanced stimulant, um, that's going to, I think, for most people, really um, be a great option, especially if they need that effect all throughout their day versus maybe just in parts of their day. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a good answer because now I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like, you know, the state of ADHD and care today is if you even find a medical or mental health professional who understands ADHD in women, like, you know, you've won the lottery. But the thing is, there's so much more to know. And I know me personally, I have never had a medical professional or mental health professional mention how important exercise, sleep, nutrition, mindfulness, thought work, tapping, whatever you choose to do to to calm your nervous system, how much that really works. And I know they're out there because we talk to them, but none of these things have ever, as I said, been mentioned to me. And The thing is, if you're among the lucky where meds dramatically improve your symptoms, great, but you can even optimize your health and well-being further by adopting some of these other strategies in addition to your medication. And I know this is something you do. So could you speak to that? Yes, 100%. So a couple different things with that. So like you said, for some people, they don't work. For some people, they might be in situations where they can't take them. So maybe they do have a history of cardiac issues or um, women who are pregnant. You know, a lot of times stimulant medication, they're not going to be able to take during that time. So and even people who are on them, the sleep, stress, nutrition, and movement 
are going to be really so much of your pillars to success. And the reason I think that a lot of providers don't bring that up, I still think there is not enough focus on lifestyle interventions as basically medication, you know, pharmacist-driven or provider-driven lifestyle interventions. I even, again, a lot of my patients are healthcare providers and a lot of them will kind of say, well, this sounds like kind of like hippy dippy or it sounds like too good to be true. There's no way that like just me doing some like deep breathing or putting some ice on my chest is going to, you know, make a difference. Like I think as, you know, healthcare providers, we're too often still just thinking that like, no, 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 no. It's going to be this, you know, one thing I'm going to give you this like drug and it's expensive and it's going to cause all these adverse effects. It's too good to be true that just focusing on those four things is going to do the trick. But again, that's where functional medicine really, really believes that that is what is really going to impact your likelihood of having good health throughout the entire rest of your life. Um, cause that's, I mean, that's, what's going to actually make you healthy on a daily basis. If you are food is fuel movement is, you know, is such a, um, also fuel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just like, you know, coping mechanism. And like, mm-hmm. I will say like literally right before we got on to do this today, like I could tell, like, yeah, I had all that, like energy build up. I had <laughs> taken, <laughs> taken my Vyvanse like not so long before I was feeling it. I'd had a coffee like, <laughs> and I just like was jumping up and down, dancing, like whatever, like getting all that out. Like it is literally the way that the way that I always think about it. So when you are feeling like your nervous system is in an activated state, you mm-hmm. know, you think about maybe like your dog, um, when it, gets stressed out. Maybe it's barking or (laughs) sees somebody on its sidewalk. That's like, no, you don't belong there. (laughs) That's my sidewalk. It will afterward, it will shake. It will shake its body to basically complete the stress cycle. And like as humans, we a lot of times don't do that, but we literally need to complete the stress cycle for our nervous systems to reset. So that's like what we are doing when we move our bodies, when we are, you know, giving it the energy that it needs. And that's why I'm a huge proponent for, you know, a a dance a day, I guess, keeps the doctor away. Yeah. (laughs) One solo dance. You know, uh, Dr. John Rady, who's one of the Mm -hmm. co-authors of Driven to Distraction and ADHD 2.0, I consider them the Bibles of ADHD. And he talks about how 20 minutes of exercise at 70% of your high heart rate is equivalent mm-hmm. to a course of uh, stimulant medication. Oh, yeah. And, you know, because stimulant medications, unfortunately, don't work for me. Okay, that's going to lead into my next question. So, yeah, I've tried so many medications, Adderall, Ritalin, Vyvanse, Focalin, Concerta, Stratera, Wellbutrin. Those are the ones that I can just kind of remember. And I'm a slow metabolizer all these medications create more anxiety. And I can't seem to get the medication high enough to make a difference to my symptoms because they blow up my anxiety first. And I managed pretty darn well using, what did you call them? Lifestyle interventions. I love that word or those group Uh of words. You know, I exercise first thing every morning. I definitely pay attention to my thoughts. I eat well. I don't eat a lot because I feel better that way. I've noticed that sugar and alcohol, they are not my friend. I've 
definitely come to the conclusion, even though I've fought it my entire life, that (laughs) sleep is more important than I thought it was. I do work that I love, which, you know, for our ADHD brains is so important because we need to be living a life of meaning. We need to live to our potential. But in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking that, what if there's a medication out there that could help me get through the things I really struggle with, like long form writing? And so I'm always wondering, is there anything left for me to try or do in the realm of medication? Okay. So I've got a couple of thoughts here when you say this. So one, I feel like also so ADHD or (laughs) neurodivergent, like even thought of that, like we're always also like trying to perfect ourselves. Like we're always trying to say like, if I just do this thing, or if I just figure this out, this will kind of make things easier. And I think a huge part of actually even like the work I do, and I'm sure even like a lot of the work you do is kind of accepting our brains for where they're at. And that, yeah, there are always going to be things that are hard for us. Like even with me on Vyvanse, so same, like the dose, I take 40 milligrams of Vyvanse and I had tried, we were up, gosh, I was up to like 60 or 70, which is quite high. Um, And same that like I was having a lot of adverse effects, but I was still struggling a lot with um, task initiation and transitions. And I've just kind of now had to, like I'm at a dose where it can kind of give me just a little bit of that like go to get that started, but like it is still hard. It is always hard. So I think there's kind of one thing there that we're always just trying to self-perfect. And then uh, you are, I will, I'm going to validate the heck out of the lifestyle interventions that you are doing because girl, you have got that down. Like you said, like sleep, nutrition, movement, not doing the sugar and alcohol. I know I was the same way. Like, uh, my wife and I just recently went, um, to sober living then just because that, you know, just, well, was- I didn't say that. <laughs> True, true. Not, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, maybe like but, one yeah. or one drink right. a week, two drinks. Yeah. Right. Yes. Well, I mean, here's like, it was just for, you know, us, it was just like, it was just another factor, just another thing that like, I think we felt like we had to like, so she has ADHD also. So she was diagnosed after me because <laughs> as, as my psychiatrist said, she was like, I always think we should offer like a buy one, get one once we diagnose somebody with, with ADHD. Totally, because attracts like. Yes. Exactly. So yeah, so then she did after me, but like, so we kind of took out some of those things that we just struggled to control ourselves around Mm -hmm. because our brains were just like rolling for that dopamine all the time. And so we had a lot of anxiety around that. But, um, but as far as medications for you, I mean, it sounds like you've really tried most of them, not much else that I could think of that I would necessarily try you on. And honestly, even if we did, even if we, there were a couple other things that maybe we could being that you had, you know, didn't find success with the others. I think it would be really unlikely that you would with these other options. And then also that it would really end up affecting the exact, you know, thing that still gives you struggles. Like I couldn't necessarily say that that would be the thing that would then all of a sudden feel easier for you too, you know? So, uh, and then they have adverse effects. Like here's the deal, lifestyle lifestyle interventions, they might be hard and like hard to implement, but like there's really only good to come from those with meds. Like 
I think people think as a pharmacist that like I'm a med pusher then, but really what I am is a med educator. And really what I want for my patients is, you know, if it's going to help, okay. But like, I don't necessarily want them on things for forever if they don't need to be. And if you're having, you know, success with those things and we don't have to worry about all these stimulant adverse effects, then let's not, you know, like that's totally great too. Well, I like your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Good. So, so Kaylin, what are the ADHD traits that you feel are responsible for your success? Oh, heck yeah. So I can tell you for sure they are that hyper focus and my passion. I am a an extremely passionate person for things that I am interested in, driven to do. I mean, that is what like I ended up creating this, you know, business. It had been in my mind for a long time, but in three months. And when I want to do something, I'm going to do it. Like literally nothing can stop me. Um, That and along with my problem solving skills, I think that, you know, being ADHD and from a young age, I really was the, I very rarely had help figuring out how to manage these things. So I got very creative in knowing how to overcome a lot of those, those problems. And because of that, or the struggles, um, it really, really, really honed my problem solving skills. And again, that's what I'm taking kind of advantage of now. And I always feel confident in doing. Um, So I'm so thankful to those two things. Yeah, because what you're doing requires so much ability at solving problems. Exactly. Because you're looking at, okay, what's the big picture? You're you're zooming, you're zooming out, um, which I think doesn't happen when it comes to our medical care. Everybody's looking at their one little area. Yes, they are siloing it. And I am of the opinion that healthcare period really should not be siloed, but neurodivergent care, ADHD care, 100%, like siloing it is not doing right by your patient. Uh, You need to be looking at the full picture. You have to, it affects every aspect of our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, our health issues and our wellness don't end up stemming from one thing. It's a whole bunch of pieces all affected by the neurodivergence in some way. And that's, to me, that is what unmasking your health is. You have to appropriately address your health struggles and you have to look at that full picture. You have to look upstream and approach each part of the treatment with ADHD and neurodivergency in mind. It impacts everything. Do you have a number one ADHD workaround? Heck yeah, I do. It is, <laughs> it is to ride the dopamine wave. I will pump myself up with music, fun lights. <laughs> I've got an array of drinks, yeah, glitter, like body, like uh, I've got like body jewels on today. Like I've got this stuff called unicorn snot on. That's like, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like glitter highlight. I don't know. It's called unicorn snot. I love it. <laughs> like so. That is such a disgusting name. <laughs> I know it is. It is. But it looks great. So like, yeah, I've got like, you know, like this light up moonlight here next to Mm. me, like anything I can 
to like, just get me excited, get me interested to like live my life, to do my day. I'll create. So even when I was working within academia, I'm pretty sure they thought I was just kind of nuts, but like I would have themed days. So I would just decide that I'm like, today's Hawaiian day. And I would try to get all my students in on like, we're all going to be themed to this. And I don't know. I think some of them appreciated it. They were probably neurodivergent too, but like that just, gets me ready to roll. And then I ride that wave right into my seat and start doing my work and just, you know, ride that out. That is for sure my number one ADHD workaround. It's all about positive emotion, baby, right? Right. We're not in positive emotion. We can't get anything done. That's it. That's it. And I think a lot of us do that. It's like, oh, it's got to be hard. Well, the puritanical worth ethic, right? It's got to be hard. It's got to be difficult. I need to sweat through this. No, 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 no. You need to, you know, make all the things that you really want to do, make them as easy as you possibly can, because then it'll work. Exactly. Which, again, is goes against kind of our culture and society that says there is, you know, almost like (laughs) morality or value in being uncomfortable and tolerating it to tolerate being uncomfortable. And that's, again, with, with, you know, being I think where a lot of our problems come from. I know mine did that, like, I thought that that was normal. I thought that that's what I was just supposed to do. And if I was uncomfortable, that that didn't mean anything. That just was, you know, something I had to suck up and deal with. And that has been my, a huge piece of my healing. I ask myself now multiple, multiple times a day, every day, I even have alerts on my phone where it will, I'll ask myself, like, how could I make Kaylin more comfortable right now? And I don't worry about efficiency because that was a huge thing for me. Everything had to be efficient. Like if I was cold, I wouldn't put a sweatshirt on because then maybe I'd have to wash wash it. And that was like another task oh, and like geez. another. <laughs> and I was like, I would even, um, it went as far as like if I had to, let's say I lived in an apartment and we had an elevator or we had stairs and we lived on the fourth floor. I would think I, you know, I'm going to take the elevator up. And then I would hear that in my head and I think, no, you're going to take the stairs. And I would do opposite of what my brain like wanted me to do, which of course was the easier, less Mm -hmm. energy route, because Mm -hmm. I was trying to practice distress tolerance all the time, like every minute of every day. So that way I could tolerate being an undiagnosed ADHD autistic woman, because every moment for me, socially, physically, everything was uncomfortable. So I had to have a high distress tolerance to live until it almost (laughs) killed me. And so now it's like going back on that. And it is so every moment, like multiple moments in the day, I say, Kaylin, like, how can I make you more comfortable? And little things like soft blankets or, um, you know, a more comfortable chair, just adjusting my position. Like I don't even, you know, I was so trained to not recognize my body's, you know, pleas for (laughs) comfort. Now I'm, like I said, I'm an infant relearning how to, you know, approach my internal and my external experience. I love it. So -hmm. are you working on something that you want to tell us about? Yeah. So really what I'm working on right now, so I'm doing some, uh, what I'm calling some fireside chats where I'll be doing some free talks. Welcome for anyone to attend. I've got my next one will be May 31st. Um, and there is an event bright to sign up for that. Uh, it'll be at 5.30 PM central time, um, should be in, um, hopefully the notes then of the podcast. Um, I believe I sent that to you. You can cut that. 
if that part if you want. Um, um, wait, wait. What was the date? Yeah. Oh, May thirty first. Yeah. So yes. you're gonna. That'll be perfect as far as when when we're gonna air this podcast. Okay. Okay. Um, so where do they find the link to yes. sign up for this? Yeah. So to sign up for this, they can go ahead and go to my website, which is kaylinjohnson.com. If you scroll all the way down on any of the pages, you can go ahead and sign up for my newsletter. Um, Go ahead and type in your email address there and you will go ahead and you'll get an email um, telling you about all the things I'll be doing, including this talk on May 31st. You'll also get, um, I send that out twice a month. You will get neurodivergent uh, health and wellness tips sent to your inbox as well. And also know if I'm running any specials on my private one-on-one coaching. Wonderful. Which there, yeah, you'll also find a link to that on my website uh, to go ahead and get started with me. I do free initial consults that are an hour long with um, any patient who might be interested in working with me. And I can find out if I am the best person to support you, or I'm always happy to refer you to some of my colleagues who um, are also really, really talented people and are you know more than happy to help you with your specific neurodivergent needs. Okay, so they're going to go to Kaylin Johnson. So that's K A L I N Johnson, J O H N S O N dot com. This is all going to be in the show notes. Um, you have a beautiful website, by the way. It is clean, and simple. It makes my ADHD brain happy. And you know what's funny, Kaylin, is as you were talking through a little bit of this, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this sounds like an advertisement for Kaylin Johnson. But. <laughs> I believe so much in what it is that you're doing that I am just thrilled to be, you know, able to offer you this platform. Um, there is a woman in Canada. Her name's Michelle Lum, who I know she's an ADCA certified ADHD coach. She's one of our AOK graduates, and she is basically doing the same thing that you're doing. I don't think there can be enough people to yes. um, to go out there and help, you know, especially ADHD women who really have gotten the short shrift. So I am just delighted that uh, to have had you on and to talk about um, ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I agree. I agree. That has always been, honestly, my biggest fear is like uh, there aren't enough of us doing this work and that, you know, I will help as many as I can, but I am hoping to, you know, influence more health, you know, care providers to, you know, really explore neurodivergent affirming care and to, you know, step into this path and really, you know, kind of fill in these little holes that there really are in the healthcare system and help our neurodivergent patients navigate those. So yes, more come (laughs) email me if you have questions about how to do this, like so happy to answer that too. So wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. So That's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Kaylin Johnson, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. 
Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.